Let's pray again before we get started. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for each other, the, the people that you've, you've placed in our lives, Lord. Um, there, are, there are all kinds of people you put in our path, and, and uh, it's, it's pretty clear in your word, Lord, that the, the body of believers that you set us in is, is, a, is a body that is uh, it's, it's one that you've chosen. It's, it's one that you've, you've made us to be, to be specific body parts, knit together, connected to you so that we can minister to each other, sharpen one another, and lift each other up in you, and that you, Lord, will be the <laughs> our, our master, our Lord, the one we serve, the one we obey, but, Lord, also the one who ministers to us and does a work in our heart. And so we thank you for the work that you do in the church. We thank you for the work that you do in us. And I just ask, Lord, that right now, uh, as, as, we, as we open up your word, as we talk about it, and later on as, as we share with one another uh, what, what you're teaching us, I just pray that you, Lord, would be in every word that's spoken. I pray that your wisdom would, would be, that the richness of your wisdom would fill our speech, that it would fill our, our actions, and <laughs> Lord, that in everything that we do and as we grow, and as we grow to become more like you, we just pray that you will do that good work in us and that you'll be glorified through it. And so we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. This is, this is the last week that I'll have the pleasure of teaching you all for a little bit. Um, so I'm going to follow with uh, the scripture that follows what we talked on last week. We're going to be reading Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 through 5. It starts out saying this, verse 1, Therefore, be followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us as a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not be heard among you, as is proper for saints. Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving of thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexual immoral person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and God. It's, it's, it's very interesting to me how just the, just the pattern the pattern of thinking and the pattern of teaching that Scripture follows, and Paul. Paul was possibly one of the one of the smartest, uh, certainly one of the most well-educated men of his day. And if you ever read Paul's letters, if you read Romans, if you read this book, Ephesians or the Corinthians, anything, pretty much anything that Paul ever wrote, it's very intricate. It's very intelligent. Sometimes it's difficult to follow, and it's difficult to see the big picture. Certainly, uh, certainly, if you're a new believer. Uh, Really, uh, whether you're a new believer or not, it can be difficult to, it, well, it can be easy, I guess I should say, to look at Paul's writing and just, just to glean the little bits of wisdom. But uh, as, as, I've, as I've gone through these couple chapters of Ephesians, sometimes it has been difficult to me, for me to see, okay, well, in the, you know, in this little bit of verses, what's the theme? I can see the, the, the little sparks of wisdom, but what's, 
what is the overall message here? Um, last week, we looked at the last half of, of chapter 4 in Ephesians. And what I was focusing on and what I was talking about last week was uh, how God desires us to walk after him. How he desires us to be transformed through the renewing of our minds to become more like Jesus Christ. To look more like Jesus Christ, to walk the way that he walked. And one of the things that we were talking about last week is, it's, it was just interesting. Every single thing that Paul said when he said, this is what you do when you follow the Spirit of Christ, when you walk in the Spirit of Christ. Everything that he pointed out was something that Jesus actually did. It was reflective of the character of God. And then everything that he said not to do, I, I, personally, I just thought it was really interesting. Everything that he said not to do was actually a characteristic of the devil. And it was something that the devil had in his character. It was something that that uh, we now have in our character as a result of the devil lying to us, deceiving us, and drawing us away into sin. Uh, Jesus actually said at one point to the Pharisees, he said, he said, you're like your father, the devil. He said, you are murderers like your father, the devil. And he called the devil the father of lies. And the reason he said to some your father is the devil, is because they believe his lies. The Bible says that God cannot lie, but the devil is the father of lies. And last week in Ephesians 4, when Paul said, put away from yourselves lying, but every man speak the truth to your neighbor, he was highlighting that fact, showing that we were acting like the devil, who was the first rebel, the first one to defy God. We were defying God after the character and nature of the devil, he said, quit doing that. Now that God has saved you, now that God has given you his spirit, now that he is transforming you so that, you will, so that you, your mind is being renewed to think more like Jesus, now start acting after the character of Jesus. And he continues that theme into chapter 5. In, uh, I don't know what translation's up on the board. Is it New King James? Yeah, it's, okay, <laughs> well, too bad. Um, New King James, in a lot of translations, it actually, uh, Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God. In, in the Holman Christian Standard, which is what I'm reading it out of, it says, uh, be followers of God. And I, I, I really like, I don't think of, my, of myself so much as a preacher, as a teacher. I like to understand ideas and to help people understand what the scripture is saying. To, to equip you to, to follow the word of God and to be obedient to God. And so I like to dig into the words. And I was, I was considering this last week. What does it mean to be a follower? What does it mean to be a follower? And in the translations that use that word, it says, therefore be followers of God as dear children. So if you are the child of God and you are expected and commanded to follow him, what does that mean? As a person... If you're going to follow another person, what does that mean for you? What does it mean to follow? As I've considered that this week, I'm, I'm thinking of a, you know, a, just a, a human example of that. Let's say, let's say you're trying to travel somewhere and you actually have a leader and a guide that is helping you to get where you're trying to go. If you're going to follow them, then what do you do? You watch them, you see where they're going, 
you see what they do, and you actually imitate what they do. So some translations say imitate, some translations say follow. I'm convinced those two things are virtually the same. To follow is to imitate. Because I'm convinced of this. It seems like a fairly self-evident truth that when you go where your leader goes, and when you do what your leader does, you will end up where your leader ends up. This is what a mentor is. A mentor is someone who has been where you're trying to go, or is where you're trying to get. And so what they do is they tell you, this is what I've done. They'll give you instruction, they'll give you help, they'll give you advice based on their experience. So that if you imitate their actions, and you imitate their steps, you will get where they have gotten. And the same is true with God, or specifically with Jesus Christ, who was the one who was, who was, God actually put Jesus down on the earth and made him a man so that we could see him. He went and lived the life of a man, just as we all do, so that we could understand what God would do if he were in our place. He was put here as an example for us so that we could see him, so that we could see where he goes and what he does, and that we could do that. And when we do those things, when we follow Jesus, when we follow his example, we will end up where Jesus is. And that is how we can be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's pretty common for people to uh, live by this particular, uh, for a lot of Christians live by this particular saying, what would Jesus do? WWJD. Some people wear the bracelets. Um, and that's, that's really the concept that we're talking about. It's really the concept that Paul is talking about. Uh, but I do just want to say this. A lot of people, a lot of Christians, do get that idea pretty backwards. Because this is the thought process that goes through a lot of people's heads when they, when they try to do what Jesus did. They ask themselves the question, what would Jesus do? And they, they, they try to imagine what they believe Jesus would do, and they do that. Really what they're doing is they're following their conscience. And hey, listen, if, if, if you're listening to your conscience, and, and you are, well, remember last week when we were talking about the calloused heart. God has written his law on your heart. All right? that, is, that is a part of your conscience. And some of us, really all of us, have built up calluses over our heart so that we no longer listen to our consciences. We no longer listen to God's instruction so that the Holy Spirit in our heart is teaching us, but we're not listening. If you're listening to your conscience in that way, righteously, that's a good thing. But, I just want to say this because it's a, it's a pitfall that a lot of Christians fall into. A lot of people, a lot of people think, a lot of people, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this. I'll put it this way. If I'm trying to follow Christ, I should not, <laughs> I should not judge the character of God and expect God to do what I would do. On the subject, on a lot of different subjects, when, when you consider justice, or love. There's a biblical definition for those things. If you look at scripture, God will explain to you what love is. He'll explain what justice is. 
the character of God is, is explained in the scriptures. But a lot of people, um, well, a lot of people, a lot of people just, they define their th those things based on what's in their heart. And it's important for us to actually look at what Jesus Christ did in his life uh, instead of just guessing what they think his character might lead him to do. Anyway, that's, that's all I'm trying to say there. But uh, in verse 2 it says, Walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us as a sacrificial and fragrant offering. And then verse 3 it says, But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not be heard among you as is proper for saints. This is another concept that I've been, I've been mulling on this week. It talks about impurity. It talks about specific sins, sexual immorality, and greed. And it says no impurity should be heard of among you. That's another word picture, an impurity. What does that mean? How do we know what is impure? The picture that's being painted there is something... It can be anything. A, if a car, <laughs> if you buy a bright new shiny car and it gets a scratch along the side, it's a defect, it's a blemish, it's a spot, it's an impurity. And immediately when people see that car, what, what's, what's their eye drawn to? Some scratch along the side, everything, you know. Um, when, when the Israelites were about to leave Egypt, and God was going to send the angel of death to Egypt to kill all the firstborn. He said to the Israelites, he said, if you want to avoid this curse, this is what you must do. Find a lamb from among your flocks. It must be a firstborn lamb without spot or blemish. Specifically, that lamb could, it had to be white. It couldn't have any little black or brown hairs on it. It couldn't have any spots on it. It couldn't have a limp. It couldn't be broken or it couldn't have any impurities in it. And he said, take that lamb, shed its blood, put it over your doorpost, and the angel of death will not enter your home, and it will not kill your firstborn. This was a picture on a few hundred years later, on that same night on the Passover, when the Jews celebrated God's mercy in sparing their firstborns way back in Egypt on this holiday that they had. This is when the Last Supper took place. Jesus broke bread with his disciples. He, he gave them the first communion, and then that, that same night, Jesus was crucified and killed. He was the firstborn son of God without spot or blemish. He was, uh, in his spirit, he had no sin. There were no spots. There were no blemishes. There was not one flaw in the heart of Jesus Christ, the son of God. The lamb was a picture of that. And so when Paul talks here about impurities... That's a picture for us to understand that sin in our heart is like a scratch. It's like a hole. It's like something that was, you know, our heart was designed by God back in the beginning. Our, our whole body, everything about man, the man was a, a part of God's creation that God created perfect. He said, I will make him in my image. And he looked down upon man. When he made man and woman, he looked down and he said, it is very good. But... When Adam and Eve ate the apple, when sin entered their hearts, God actually brought something new into his creation. He brought thorns and thistles. 
They didn't exist before sin came into the world. God brought thorns and thistles into his planet at the moments that the curse of sin came into the world. And that's a part of this picture. Because as you know, if you've ever been stuck by a thorn, <laughs> it takes what's, what's otherwise a, a decent piece of flesh and it pokes a hole right into it. It creates a blemish. It creates a mark. It creates a hole. And this same picture was used when Jesus Christ took upon himself our sin. They gave him a crown of thorns. Thorns pierced into his head. Nails were put into his hands. Spears and other weapons were put into his side. And the wounds of Christ's body were not the greatest things that Christ suffered. He actually received in, in a spiritual way the wrath of God that we deserved. But the picture, the thing that God painted for us to see was thorns going into his hands, into his head, into his side. He took on the impurities, the holes, the defects that we deserved. And so all of us, all of us were born with defects. All of us were born with impurities of the heart. As soon as we enter, the, because we're sons of Adam and Eve, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we enter the world with sin in our hearts. So that, that heart that was first designed by God to be perfect, it's, not, it's, it's full of holes. It's full of defects. You know, I'm, a, I'm not, not actually sure that, uh, you know, a scratch on a car is, a, is bad enough to describe my own heart. I think it's uh, all scratches and no paint. That might be a better picture. Um, and actually, when Jesus had thorns put into him to take the place of my sin, he had many thorns put into his body. Hmm. But this is what Paul said, and this is the picture that he uses when he says sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not be heard among you. Because this is proper for saints. We know that saints are the church. We're not talking about St. Nicholas or uh, St. Valentine. Everyone in God's church is a saint. And all of us, uh, of all of us, God requires to be free of impurities. So, so what does that mean? It, means? it means that when Paul says that sexual immorality is an impurity, means that's something that stains or breaks what would otherwise be a heart that is pleasing to God. It means that greed is something that is a stain on your heart. Greed is interesting. I, I, it's, greed is not really preached on very much in our churches. At least I haven't heard it preached on very much. Is greed wrong? Is it wrong for people to be greedy? What does that mean? Um, I don't know that I don't know that I've drawn the connection, at least not well enough, between greed and the Ten Commandments before this week. What does the Ten Commandments say about greed? Do not covet. Exodus twenty seventeen. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife, his male or female slave, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. By the way, do you know why God desires that of us? The scriptures say that God is infinite in wisdom. Psalm 147.5 says, says that God has established the world in his wisdom, and with his discretion he has stretched out the stars. Every commandment that the Lord gives is a command that he gives for a purpose. Okay? And uh, 
I, I don't know what the world thinks about God's commands. I think that most of the world thinks that uh, they're 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 pretty foolish and um, maybe just something that some some pastors have invented to regulate society or I don't know what. Um, but God doesn't just God doesn't just sit up there in heaven thinking, okay, <clears throat> got to give these people something to do. See what? Uh, just it, don't. Don't covet after your neighbor's property, okay? Just there you go. Now you got y'all got something to do. No, there's a specific reason that he wants us to do that, um, and there are societal benefits to it. You know, if if everybody went around all the time uh, desiring things that belong to other people, uh, the whole world would be like Vegas. Actually, that's I think that's why Vegas is like that. <coughs> uh, everybody's gambling, trying to get other people's money. Uh, but the reason that God said do not covet, do not desire, do not greedily seek after what belongs to your neighbor. There's a reason for that. Back to Genesis, when man was still a, a flawless design of God, God said, let us go down and make man, what? In our image, after our likeness. And so in the image of God, God created man, male and female. Male and female are both made in the image of God. What does that mean? were God's picture. What did Jesus say about worshiping him? He said, whatever you do to the least of one of these, the least of these images of me, you have done to me. Okay, so what does that mean for me if I, if I desire what, what Jason has? What does that mean about my heart? Number one, it probably means that I think I'm more important than Jason, which isn't true. <laughs> uh, well, what does it mean if I desire something that belongs to God? This was the sin of the devil. This was the sin of Lucifer. He looked at himself, saw that he was beautiful, became prideful and said, I am at least as worthy as God is. Look how beautiful I am. Look how intelligent I am. Look how wonderful I am. I'm just as worthy as God. I should be at least... As, as revered and worshipped as God is. That was Lucifer's sin. It was pride. He believed that he was equal with God, which was a lie. The father of lies lied to himself, and he believed his own lie, I suppose. Uh, but he wanted what belonged to God. He wanted the reverence. He wanted the appreciation. He wanted the worship and the reverence that belonged only to God, that he didn't deserve. He just thought he did. If we desire what belongs to God that he has not given to us, we commit the same sin. And we, 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 are, we have a heart that is not right before the Lord, desiring what is his and what is not ours. And so if, if I desire what Jason has for myself, what am I doing? I shouldn't treat God that way. I should not treat God's image that way. Jesus said, whatever you've done to the least of these, you have done to me. And this is why God says you shall not covet and desire what belongs to your neighbor. In verse 4, he says, coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving of thanks. I've, I've certainly thought about this verse before, but I wrestled with it a little bit more this week. Just, just uh, I'm trying to understand what's the scope here of foolish talking and crude joking. What about sarcasm? What about 
telling mindless jokes back and forth. I don't know. It's, it's, it, that verse convicts me, I, I swear. Every single time I read it, I'm convicted by that verse. And I, I, I wrestled with it again this week, you know. Even, even humor. Is humor, is joking, joking around, being sarcastic, is that even biblical? Do we even see an example of it? And the closest thing that I can find are the few examples of when Jesus actually is, he's humorous. And, I, and if we're supposed to, if we're supposed to be conformed into the image of God by following God, then we should look at Christ's example and how he uses humor. And I, we should probably do it somewhat in the same way. In Matthew 5, uh, Matthew 5, verse 15, Jesus says, No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives light for all in the house. Now that's not, uh, it's not quite the flavor of, of our modern you know, American comedians. Every culture has their own humor, but if you think about it, that is kind of funny. He says, what does he say? No one puts it, takes a lamp and puts it under a basket. Have you ever seen anyone do that? <laughs> I guess we have lampshades, but uh, <laughs> you're not going to light something up and then hide it so that no one can see it. And so what Jesus does here is he actually uses humor in a productive way. He uses humor to teach in Luke chapter 11, starting verse 11. He says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. And he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for him? To those who ask it of him. And so again, you know, it's, it's not this, perhaps not this, roaring comedy but Jesus uses irony he uses humor for a purpose and these are examples in scripture of our example Jesus Christ using humor in a productive way for the glory of God and so again I'm, I'm convicted but I'm also I'm also examining this you know I believe that humor is something that God created I'm not suggesting that we abandon it but I'm also remembering times when I just engage in witty banter. Gee, that's fun. It's am I'm amused by it. Other people seem to be amused by it. But is it really honoring to the Lord? Maybe I need to, as I continue to pray, as I continue to explore this, explore this issue and, and search God's heart on the matter, you know, really, really pursue him and really, really follow Christ's example. Use humor in a way that is actually lifting up for others, that actually edifies others and actually glorifies the Lord. I don't, I don't really have any examples for that, but that's something that, that uh, God's working on in my heart, and I'm sure he'll continue to do that. And then uh, after Paul says, foolish talking and crude joking aren't suitable, he says, rather, giving thanks. And so I, I found an example of, of when Jesus was thankful in his speech. In John eleven forty one, 41, it says, So they removed the stone from Lazarus' grave, and Jesus raised up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe that you sent me. And this was Jesus expressing his thankfulness to the Lord. I, it's interesting to me, but it's, it's, it's incredibly helpful. Last week, I, uh, <laughs> I think I actually 
use perhaps a similar kind of humor in uh, pointing out that if you just keep putting off and putting off and putting off, like Paul says, put off this, put off lying, put off stealing. If you, if you have only a wicked heart and you put off all the wickedness, you're going to have an empty heart. So Paul is, and, and the Holy Spirit, which inspired scripture, uh, edified us by saying, after you have put these things off, this is what you should put on. Put off lying. But every man speak the truth to his neighbor. Put off stealing. But don't just laze around and do nothing. Then work with your hands so that you may have something to give to those who have needs. He says, put off this, put on that. Here he does the exact same thing. He says, coarse foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather, that's what you put off, rather giving of thanks. So, th so this is what God asks us to replace the improper speech with giving of thanks giving of thanks if if we if we have made a habit of of crude speech and and joking and and especially if it's if it's sarcasm and kind of tearing each other down if it's if it's a kind of speech that is not honoring to the lord and not honoring to one another then we need to quit that and what do we replace it with giving of thanks if before our speech was tearing each other down you know digging into other people's defects or or some other speech that is not honoring. What does thankfulness do? It expresses, it expresses the appreciation we have for each other. It builds each other up. And it builds up the Lord. Uh, later on in chapter 5, Paul talks about making melody in your heart to the Lord. And giving Him thanks. So we're supposed to express our thankfulness to each other. And express our thankfulness for the Lord. And then in verse 5, Paul says this, For no one recognized this. Every sexually immoral person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and God. And so what, what I was really digging into in that verse this past week was the concept of an idolater, idolatry. You know, uh, last week in our small group, Jeffrey, uh, he brought up the verse that said, no man can serve two masters. And I think that's right on point here. Because if you serve an idol, then you cannot serve the Lord. This is what scripture says. It says you cannot serve God and money. You can't serve God and your possessions. You cannot serve God and whatever your idol may be. Scripture is very clear. Uh, I mean, <laughs> sometimes when, when you say the word idol, you know, I think of a little carved wooden God that we bow down and worship to. And the Ten Commandments, it says, don't do that. Don't make any graven image of anything in the heavens above or the earth beneath and bow down to it and worship it. Don't do that. But, Scripture is very clear, that is not. There are other kinds of idols besides graven images. Anything. Anything that you worship. Anything that you serve at the expense of God is an idol. No man can serve two masters. If you have an idol, you are not serving God. We're talking about following God and what it means to follow God. If you follow, we have this phrase in our, in our culture, you know, did you follow my instructions? Did you follow my directions? 
if we are following God, then we're serving him. If we're following God, we're obeying him. Our culture also has a saying, another saying. Uh, this has come up in a lot of Disney films. You should follow your heart. Well, the Bible says the heart's uh, desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Uh, so it's probably not something we should be following. <laughs> but the Bible says you cannot serve two masters. So if you're following your heart, if you're following your own desires, if you're serving yourself, then you are not serving God. No man can serve two masters. Everyone who follows an idol does not follow God. And everyone who does not follow God follows an idol. Even if your idol is yourself. Some people are ego-driven enough that they have made themselves their idol. I'm not going to name any predominant politicians today, but um, <laughs> a lot of people have that struggle. Uh, I have that struggle. Um, <laughs> Lucifer, as we've said, has had that struggle, and that was his very first sin. <laughs> there were no idols in Lucifer's day. He made himself one. He believed that he could be a god and be equal with God. By the way, what was Eve's first sin? The exact same thing. What did, what did the serpent say to her? If you eat this fruit, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll be on par with God. And so he tempted her, wanting to make her God, wanting to make her her own idol. And so instead of of doing what God designed her to do, being the creation that God designed her to be, and serving the Lord the way he designed her to serve him, she decided to serve herself and serve her own desires, become her own idol, and disobey the words of the Lord. And Adam, who was standing with her, instead of doing what God had designed him to do, he chose to listen to the... God said, because you have listened to the words of your wife, instead of listening to my words... This curse will be upon you. And we're still suffering today because of that curse. But <laughs> we're not here to, to harp on Adam and Eve. We're here to, to examine ourselves and to consider what our idols are. And to consider who we're following. Um, anyway, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. Thank you that on, on some small scale you've, you've allowed us to, to understand your mind, you, what you've shared with us. God, I'm, I'm afraid some of the things that you shared with us, for me at least, I'm, I'm not even sure I've scratched the surface of them. I'm not even sure I've, I've uh, understood what you're telling us um, on any substantial level. But I, I just thank you that, that you have... You're such a masterful communicator that you've been able to, to communicate your, your higher thoughts to creatures so, so simple as, as simple as we are. Um, and I just pray, Lord, that, that as we continue to walk with you, we pray that, that you will continue to be patient with us and uh, continue to teach us, continue to share your wisdom with us. And we pray, Lord, that... Uh, I just pray, Lord, that everyone here, including myself, Lord, I pray that we would examine, uh, examine our hearts, look at our lives, look at our actions. I pray that we would look at the way that we speak and the way that we live 
and just evaluate, Lord, who it is, what it is that we're serving, what it, who it is that we're following. Because even in the passage that we read last week, Lord, it, I, I saw a lot of examples and saw a lot of examples in my own heart of, of how I was actually following the ways of the devil. And uh, I <laughs> wasn't really aware that he was an idol for me, but um, I, I, I certainly seemed in some ways um, in my past and even still now on some level, Lord, uh, living according to his character, according to the, <laughs> according to the one that you call the evil one. Um, I just pray, Lord, that you would rid us of evil and that you would rid us of impurities and that you would give us the heart to follow after you and that you would show us the impurities that we have that we don't even know we have and that you would bless us with every spiritual blessing. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. want to thank Jacob for uh, giving us time and energy these last three weeks.